seeing these texts here today, I'm seeing exactly what I'm teaching. I'm teaching the Old Testament. I'm teaching the New Testament. I'm teaching the Bible. And I'm teaching a special thing on wisdom books. And here we go. These texts in front of us are the New Testament, next to the Old Testament, and James thrown in there, which is a wisdom book. So, the Old Testament for the Jews, they don't call it the Old Testament because they don't have a new one. That's, that's, their, that's their Hebrew, that's, that's their book they call the Bible. And it's actually, they call it Tanakh for short. They organize it differently than we do. T-A-N-A-K, Tanakh is an acronym for it. Torah, Nebi'im, and Chetubim. And you have to Chetubim, <laughs> say that properly. And Torah is the, the first five books of Moses, as you know. And then the Nebi'im are the, are the prophets. And the former prophets are all the books of history. So uh, Joshua and Judges. And then the latter prophets are all the prophets we know of Isaiah and the Book of Twelve and so on. Then they have this section called the Khatubi, which is like miscellaneous. It's writings, it's all the other things that to go. But it's actually a very different set of books. This book here doesn't look to God and his promises so much. It doesn't look to God and his relationship with us. It looks to the world. And it says, You're in this world that God created. How are you going to live with it? So the New Testament is a new Tanakh. It mirrors the Old Testament. It supplements, in certain sense, it supersedes it as, 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 as well. Instead of Torah, Moses getting the law, you have the gospel. And what is what, what happens here? Jesus gives the law. Moses goes up to the mountain to get the law. Jesus goes up on the mountain to what? To give the law. So get and give is quite different, right? Moses has five books. What does the book of Matthew have? Five sections. <laughs> and the book of Matthew kind of, I always call the New Testament the roof on which the Old Testament is the, is the uh, house, the New Testament is the roof. And then Matthew is the nails that stick those two together. But in Matthew you have Jesus becoming all of Israel, becoming a new Moses and becoming all those things that Israel wasn't, couldn't do. So the Nebim, and we talked, and then the, the Nebim acts as the history, and then the epistles are all the prophets, how do you apply all this stuff? And then Chetubim for the for the New Testament, James, Revelation, they have Apocalypse, and James. And so wisdom, and so James too is a book that depends on experience more than, than God. You stick your hand in fire, what happens? God burns you? The fire burns you. <laughs> you mess with your neighbor's wife. Who, who judges you? God judges you? Or your actions judge you? It's kind of interesting. So there's both. There's both this idea of what we do because of God, what we do because of, of, of experience. And the Bible has them both. Now, Tanakh is the Pharisees' Bible. Now, Sadducees only held Torah. They didn't like it. So when we, and after Jesus, after the destruction of, of Rome, it's the Pharisees who get to write the story because the Sadducees lost the, the temple, which is where they were, they, they kind of ruled. That was their baby. The temple's gone. Sadducees are gone. People are in exile. People are out there. It's the Pharisees. So the Christians adopt. We get to have the, the, the Jewish, the Pharisee Bible. You know, Paul was a Pharisee. You know, Jesus taught a lot like the Pharisees. 
He was actually closer to a guy called Shammai than Hillel. He, he was weird. But the Pharisees get a really bad rap. We talk about how Pharisees are all hypocrites and stuff like that. Well, we have to remember that the Pharisees are actually the descendants of all the Jews to this day. And so my good rabbi friend says, you know, every time you yell at a Pharisee, who do you yell at? You yell at me. So we have to wonder a little bit, be careful a little bit, that we distinguish Pharisee the person and Pharisee the, the act. So uh, this Tanakh, the Torah, is seen to be the most important of all of the parts of the, of the Bible. And Torah, how do we usually translate it? We translate it law. Actually, Torah is, is translated instruction. It's instruction. And these instructions, instructions for life, are the most important things that the Jews have. If you go to a synagogue, they'll take that Torah, they dress it up. They take it out, they walk it around, they kiss it, they touch it. They'll, it's almost like an if I grew up in India, that's what they do with idols. But here they really, this is how much they respect the Torah. This is how much the Torah is. Because this is a constitution. This is a, a, a this is a guidebook. My rabbi friend says, you know, if you're gonna go put a washing machine for the first time in your house, and you've never done it before, what hand you better have? You better have instructions. And this is what Torah does, and it gives us instructions on how to live. The problem. The problem we see in Deuteronomy is that it's a good thing. Law, there's nothing wrong with law. I drive across 205 every day. I am glad people drive on the right. <laughs> I'm glad there's law. <laughs> but we all need law to live. We all need law. So this is what's good for, for this is what's good about Torah, is that it's instruction. It shows us how to live. Wisdom, on the other hand, reminds us that our actions have consequences. You put your hand in the fire and you get burned. There are, there are consequences. Now, there's forgiveness with our relationship with God. The wisdom says in this world that we live in, you know, you better watch out how you, how you live. The prophets, what do they do? The prophets are the check on the kings and the leaders who don't follow law, who don't think it applies to them who don't apply it in the countries they live in. Prophets are there to check and balance the executive. And they do their job when they do that. So that the king too follows the law, and the leaders too follow the law. Paul is not against the law. We have that idea that Paul is all against the law. All against the law. You know, Paul's part didn't follow Torah his whole life. He didn't make other people follow Torah, but he followed Torah his, his, his whole life. What he was against was the attitude toward the law that the religious leaders at that time were having. He was actually against the caricature of the law. Paul was antithetical. We have to remember that. It wasn't the last word. He was antithetical. He's speaking against something. So what the Pharisees thought at that time is the law saves you. And what Paul reminds him is the law doesn't save you. God saves you. The law helps you. Unfortunately, they missed that point. And so they started to check what you looked on the outside. They started to look at what people did. They started to, to, to judge people 
from the outside and from the law rather than from God. So, you know, at that time, you know, Pharisees are giving a bad rap again. I'm, I'm repeating myself a little. You know, at that time, Rome had just taken over Israel. Rome was ruling there. And Israel is coming back from an exile. They were sent out of their country. And they were sent out of their country. And what did the prophets say? You're being punished for not following the law. That's why you're in exile. So when they come back, and Ezra reads the law to the whole people, they say, oh my gosh, if you don't know, he reads this law. And they say, you better follow that law. Because if you don't follow that law, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be going to go into exile again or something. So they're being hard because it's a serious thing. They have just lived through an exile, I mean, their ancestors. And now they're living here. It's Rome taking over them again. And they're saying, hey, we have to be, we have to follow the law. And Torah was there to what? To keep them safe as a people and to keep them one as a people. The problem is the attitude for them. What happened was that Rome was, was, was making them pay taxes. And the church was making them pay taxes. The synagogue was making them pay taxes. And so a lot of people were too poor to pay double taxes. Well, Jesus' idea of taxes, we have to guess it. That's another lecture. <laughs> but uh, so people weren't paying the church taxes, the synagogue taxes. And so what did they say? Do not paying taxes, you're breaking the law, you're out. Because you're a rotten apple that's going to affect the whole world. So instead of keeping people together, what did they start to do? They started to separate them. They started to do all these laws. They talked to Jesus, talks about you create all these laws. Where did all these laws come from? It's true. They came back. And the laws are not in Torah, they're Talmud. Talmud is what interprets the law. And so when they build what's called hedges. So for example, you're not allowed to walk one mile on the Sabbath. But what happens if you walk one mile, and then you trip and fall, and you go away? Uh-oh, you broke the law. And therefore, if you broke the law, then God's going to punish you. And God's, if you stay in our community, God's going to punish our community because of you. So what do I do? You can't go eight-tenth of a law. You can't go eight-tenth of a mile. So now even if you fall, you're not going to go past the law. So they start adding all this stuff. And we didn't kind of laugh at it. But it was serious business for them. But it was it serious business too? Because all of a sudden now, people can't pay the synagogue tax. And poor people, all of a sudden they're throwing, they're splitting their country in half rather than keeping them together. Because they're so afraid of the outside. They forget the inside. Now Jesus comes. Well, the other thing they, they, they do is they say, well, what's supposed to protect, keep them together, split some. It's supposed to keep them safe. What does it do? Well, the Jews start saying, hey, you guys aren't paying synagogue tax. You guys are paying Roman tax. But instead, what have you better do? Let's get rid of the Romans. Yeah, right. So they go after the Romans. And guess what happens? The Romans crush them. And from 60, 70 AD until 1947, there's no Jewish and even now, there's no temple. So, Jesus shows up at this time. And he's very radical. But he gets to the heart of it, the inside. 
He said, you know, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. The law is made for people, not people for the law. And it's your motivation that matters. You know, you ever broken a dish? <laughs> Washing, helping your wife, helping your mother, helping you break, break a dish? Ah, it's terrible. Unless you were just trying to help and you messed up. Or did you break a dish because you threw it on the ground? <laughs> That's a very different idea. So Jesus says, it's your intention. It's not what actually happens. And the wisdom says, and your intentions and what you do still matters. There still are consequences. You have a broken dish. But if you throw your dish down like that, that's a different consequence. And everything you do is motivated by injustice. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble because God, the world and God remembers that. So like most of the prophets in the Bible, Jesus addresses the leaders, not the ordinary citizens. He doesn't go after the poor people, the sinners. He goes after who? The leaders. Because they can affect the change. Because they're the ones who say, it's their problem if there's injustice in the country. Justice and not the law. We're all about law, law, law. We've got somebody who wants the law, but what about justice? Justice in the Bible is the chief concern of the prophets, the chief concern of Jesus. Justice is the chief concern, and it starts with what? This world is God's, not ours. And everything in it is God, not ours. We're just stewards of it. And if you look back in Torah, if you look back when the only time God was really fully in charge of his, of his people in the wilderness, he gave him manna. How much manna did he give? No one had too much. And no one had too little. Not the same was the communist. <laughs> but no one had too much and no one had too little. Is that our sister? Is that our sister situation? No. Is that a The other thing he says, to whom much is given, much is expected. Israel's constitution, Torah, at its center, as my rabbi friend keeps on reminding me, he loves me, he says, at the center of rabbi, at the center of our constitution, Ted, are the ten obligations. What's at the center of your constitution? The ten individual rights. <laughs> That's quite different. Yeah obligations for each other, for a community, for a world. And what's my right? And what am I, what am I, what do, do I deserve? Isn't that the television has You deserve it. What do I deserve because whatever? Christians, we have a different constitution. It's better than either of those. Jesus' laws and Jesus' example. Love God and love him. As Jesus loved us. That's what it says. These aren't tribal laws. They're not national laws. But they're universal laws in a certain sense. They're not necessarily temporal. But they are eternal. As Christians, we're pilgrims. We live everywhere. And we live nowhere. We're in the world but not of the world. But we're in the world too. And we're called to be examples to that world. Paul notes, as we live, if we live with those, uh, as he calls us to live, with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 
no country has a law against this. And that's what we're called to be. The Old Tanakh, by the Old Testament, this beautiful testament really is, is of God instructing his people. We call Israel to be an example to everybody. People are supposed to come there and look and see how they live. Here's a country that lives by law, not by the king's desires. Here's a country that lives supposedly with equity. And then it includes what? It includes the correctives. God has lots of correctives to his people when they don't live like that, when they get it wrong. And because they, as we, we often get it wrong. And we make ourselves, our institutions, our tribes, our country focus, and not the ministry. We're given all this stuff as meant to minister, not as a focus. <coughs> Too often we condemn instead of understanding, trying to understand. We condemn people. Why are you doing this? Why are you? Why, you know, I. This Portland is the most famous uh, city in America, apparently, for sexual um, 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 people are, are sex slaves here. I come from, I worked in countries where there's a lot of sex slaves. These are prostitutes. And we know what people think about prostitutes. How many of those prostitutes want to be prostitutes? Nothing almost. They have to be. Why? Because no one's taking care of them. And they have no options often. Now, some are doing it for right some Quick to condemn, hard to understand why do people do what they do sometimes. They, they have to because no one else is doing about it. Too often we condemn instead of trying to understand, we try to beat people instead of win them. We try to beat them instead of win them. And where are our Christian voices today in this country speaking for the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the unwed mother, same thing, the orphan, the abandoned born child, take care of the unborn child we try. What about the born child? What about the one who wants to stay? What about the foreigner, the immigrant? Look at the list. In every prophet, that's who they're for. There's a book Amy Sherman writes. It's called Kingdom Calling. And what she's done is she's gone around and she's surveyed all the richest evangelicals in America. And she's, you know, what are you doing for, for your neighbor? Oh, neighbor? I'm good with God. I love God. God loves me. How do I know He loves me? Look at all the stuff He gave me. What's the corollary? You don't have stuff, God doesn't love you. <laughs> so that's not what the Bible means. The Bible means a cross. Our cannot preach the cross, not glory. Our Bible preaches service, not self-importance. In Jesus, we have the perfect answer in how to live and how to apply both instruction and grace to make a world that is God-pleasing since his people serving. And in all people serving, not just we people serving. Jesus is the word incarnate. He is the instruction incarnate. He's the grace incarnate. We call that law and gospel. Luther speak, right? He's the law incarnate, and he's the gospel incarnate. And his, his is a model for all people and all peoples. Vietnamese love different than Germans, but they still love. <laughs> and if they love, then they're following God's law. Even Norwegians and Danes. <laughs> we all love different, but when we love, 
we follow God. And God sends us out to be this people among other people. But he sends us out by empowering us with his spirit. And when we trust in God's wisdom, we know that life, you know, things you do, do have consequences. And living this way for others will have a consequence. What's that consequence? A world of justice. Where justice will surely flow. May the Lord grant this to us all.